0: You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 11, Episode 24, the final episode of this season. I'm your host, Otis Cherry. and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Stephanie Sism. Tonight, you'll hear tales of camping catastrophes, lost loves, wounded warriors, and startling seances. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin.
1: (laughs) You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list.
0: One of those activities most of us do without incident. But sometimes you may find yourself on the wrong side of Mother Nature. Maybe an unwanted animal has decided to wander in and sniff around. Maybe those nachos you brought which you weren't refrigerated quite right. But sometimes camping brings out things we would prefer not to talk about. Maybe secrets best left buried. Without further ado, I present to you... Jesse's Girl. I don't go camping. Not anymore. This is always to my twin son's great consternation, since most families in our rural town seem to spend their summers in the woods or camping down by the lake. I'd make plenty of excuses. The weather, the bugs, work. Anything I could say to avoid it without actually telling them the truth about why I hated the woods. Then one day, a few months after my father had passed, my family, along with my brother's family, gathered to clean out our childhood home for the realtor. We'd lost Mom the summer before, so it was bittersweet, packing away all those memories of our loving, happy childhood. We somehow separated by sex, the girls making another run to drop off some things at the Goodwill grab a pizza, and us guys tackling the last remaining space to be cleared. The attic. My son, Max, found the box of rolled up sleeping bags and the yellowed envelope of photos wedged between them. Hey, he said, with a slight hint of accusation in his tone. Is that you? It was, indeed, fifteen year old me beaming at the camera as Rhett and I helped our uncle Thomas his Tent. The timestamp on the bottom of the photo read October 30th, 1992. I shivered as I looked at it. It seemed inconceivable that Dad had ever developed these photos. What had happened that very afternoon had haunted him more than any of us, and I thought about it nearly every single day. Jesus, is that... I shot Red a warning look. Was not something I wanted to discuss in front of my boys. He dropped it, only to resume the conversation that night as we sat alone on his back porch drinking beer and watching our kids play in the tent they'd made us erect in the backyard. Did it really happen like I remember? he asked. Feels hazy like a dream. A nightmare, I corrected. He'd only been 10 that fall was glad he didn't remember it as vividly as I did. Tell me what you remember, he insisted. Tell me everything. Maybe I needed to talk about it, too, because between bottles of Budweiser, that's exactly what I did. My brother, Rhett, and I tumbled out of the van the instant my dad shut off the engine, and my uncle staggered out after us. Ah. He gave such a loud, exaggerated groan as he stretched that it made me laugh. He winked and ruffled my hair. Been a long time, Uncle Thomas said, beaming as he surveyed the sparkling lake. This place was our teenage stomping ground. Your dad and I grew up three miles from here. and Spent most of our time fooling around this lake. Fishing, camping, swimming, you know, whatever. Dad nodded. He'd been unusually quiet this whole trip, distracted. At first, I wondered if he and Mom were having one of their rare arguments. They tried pretty hard to keep stuff like that from us, after all, but she seemed fine. While I was watching him, she slipped up behind him and wrapped her arm around his waist. "'You okay, babe?' she asked, resting her cheek against his back. "'You're awfully quiet.' He smiled and said, I'm fine, honey. It was just a long drive. Still, there was a sadness about him that even a boy could recognize as he surveyed the lake with his hands in his pocket. Maybe his memories of the place just weren't as fond as Uncle Thomas's. We set up our tents, then Uncle Thomas glanced at Dad. Want to make a beer run? Sure, Dad replied, and tossed him the van keys. He kissed Mom's cheek and asked, Need anything? I think we're all set," she said cheerfully. Uncle Thomas's new wife, Sherry, stayed behind to help Mom unpack the bedrolls. Boys, start a fire," Mom said. "We're having hot dogs and s'mores tonight." "Woohoo!" Richard, and scrambled to help me. Thanks to Dad's kindling prep, we soon had a nice one blazing. The temperature was plummeting as the sun set, and that campfire felt pretty good. None of us knew what to do when the girl staggered into the camp. My mother froze, clutching a bottle of mustard. Sherry screamed, and I just stood there. My little brother spoke first. Are you okay? She jumped as Rhett timidly approached her, like she hadn't even noticed we were there. Beneath the blood, grime, and matted blonde hair, she was lovely. Maybe the prettiest girl ever. She looked to be about 17 or 18 and dressed weirdly. White bell-bottoms and a hot pink torn shirt tied at the midriff. One hoop earring and sandal were missing. The girl shuddered. She's in shock. Mom grabbed a blanket, wrapped it around the girl's shoulders, and guided her to a chair by the fireside. My husband will be back in a moment, then we'll get help. Honey, what happened to you? The girl said nothing. Her teeth shattered so hard I feared they'd crack. Sherry grabbed a barbecue fork, holding it like a weapon, as she peered nervously in the direction of the girl that stumbled in from. No one seemed to be chasing her. "'Were you in a car accident?' Mom asked gently. The girl frowned at her, confused, then shook her head. There was nothing around for miles. A car accident seemed unlikely." but she probably hadn't been camping in White Pants and Sandals, either. You're safe now, Mom reassured her. My husband went to the gas station down the road. He'll be back any time and we'll get you to the hospital, okay? She handed her a water bottle. The girl just stared at it. Gently, I took it from her and uncapped the lid. A tear raced down the girl's cheek, leaving a grimy trail. She gulped the water, then scratched her matted hair. Dirt caked beneath her bloody, torn nails. Her pinky finger jutted sideways at an impossible angle. A large beetle scurried from her hair down her arm. She barely flinched. The ring on her finger cut my eye. It was a man's class ring, several sizes too large. The underside wrapped in discolored yarn. The year read 1973. She coughed and spat a mixture of blood, phlegm, and broken teeth on the ground. I looked at Mom, but she was staring helplessly at the girl. Seeing my unflappable mother look so unnerved scared me worse than that poor girl did. The girl sobbed, her shoulders shaking so hard that the blanket fell to the ground. Hesitantly, I reached to wrap it back around her. As I did, I noticed the ugly red welts in her neck. "'violent purple bruises in the shape of fingers. "'I heard the rumble of the van, the crunch of gravel as Dad and Uncle Thomas returned, "'then the slime of their doors and their laughter. "'But I couldn't look away from her because she was changing. "'The girl's skin turned a sickly mottled gray. "'Deep blue veins raced up her arms, up her face. "'She looked up as Dad and Uncle Thomas approached, and her green eyes had gone completely opaque. Jessie! she gasped. My gaze snapped at Dad's shocked face. He blinked at the beautiful, terrible creature. Then he ran to her, nearly plowing headlong into the fire in his haste. She flung herself into his arms, and he grabbed her, lifting her off her feet. Now, what happened to you? he cried. No, Uncle Thomas roared pointing a finger at her like he was scolding a dog. No! Still clutching my dad, her head whipped up, and cloudy eyes searched for Uncle Thomas's voice. She snarled at him over Dad's shoulder and screamed in a deep, inhuman voice. You! Look! What you did to me! The effort made her cough violently, and she brought up the back of her hand to cover her mouth came away slick with blood. Blood smeared her nose and chin. To my horror, a fat, shiny black worm slithered from her nostril and plopped onto Dad's shoulder. She gagged, expelling a couple of beetles from her lips. Then she retched, and a thick black stream of them poured from her throat. Like a sandcastle, she crumbled in my father's arms. No more girl, no more human, just a churning pile of slick black bugs. They regrouped in like some sort of horrible tidal wave. They tumbled over each other as they rushed toward my uncle, who backed against Dad's van, screaming. They covered him. He hit his knees clawing at his face. as bugs poured over him. His wife tried to beat them off, but the bugs forced her to retreat. I could not even see Uncle Thomas anymore. Just a churning black mass of bugs in the shape of a man. He toppled onto his back. Then, it was over. Bugs disappeared as if they were never there. My uncle lay still, looking untouched, like he was taking a nap. Cherry screamed and took off running, but the rest of us stood frozen. Then I heard Rhett crying. Maybe he'd been crying all along could just now hear him over the roar of my pulse in my ears. Regardless, that was what broke my mom's trance. Jesse, my mom gasped. We have to leave, please. But my father just stood there, staring at his brother's body. My mother motioned for and me. Suddenly there was nothing I wanted more than her arms around me. I ran toward her and went sprawling. That's the only way I would have found it. "'a chunk of gold protruding from the ground. "'I brushed the dirt away, but I knew what it was. Grundy County High School, 1973 on one side, "'my father's name on the other, "'a thick wad of yarn on the inside. "'I held it up, and his face crumbled. "'No!' he moaned. "'Melody!' "'He lunged toward the van, "'nearly tripping over my uncle's body.' and grabbed a collapsible snow shovel from the back. Jesse, no, my mom pleaded, but he ignored her as he stabbed the shovel into the dirt where I'd found the ring and started digging. My mother loaded us into the van and sped away. About a mile up the road, she finally got a cell signal and called 911. We sat there, parked on the side of the road. My mother's face pulled tight with fear and indecision. When the first police cruiser appeared, she hopped out and flagged it down. I don't know what she said, but when one of the cops got in the driver's seat, Brett and I bailed out the side. The cop ordered us back in, but my mother waved him off. The three of us climbed into the squad car and clutched each other's hands as an officer drove us back to the campsite. My father was still digging. The shovel handle had broken, so he was on his knees digging with a scoop. He refused to stop until another officer arrived and took over. Then Dad, Mom, and the first policeman stood in front of the cruiser, talking and gesturing in muffled voices. Hey, I got something here, the digger cried. And I caught a glimpse of faded pink material in a shallow hole before Mom moved in front of the window to block my view. The newspaper headline read, Remains found believed to be a local girl missing since 1973. When I'd gotten older, I researched the case online. There was very little information to be found, but that was hardly surprising. My uncle's official cause of death was anaphylaxis, an allergic reaction to a bug bite. Melody Jacobs had been my father's high school girlfriend. She'd disappeared without a trace the fall after he'd left for college. My father had been questioned by the police when it happened, but since he was far away when she vanished, he was never a suspect. Apparently, they had never questioned his older brother. Dad had taken a lie detector test after her body was found. Denying any involvement was promptly cleared again as a suspect. The police went on record to say his results showed no sign of deception, and they didn't believe he had any involvement in the murder. Victim's family stated the same, though I did find one interesting interview with her sister. According to her sister, Melody had stated on multiple occasions that Thomas made her feel creepy, but the family had never suspected the truth, that an obsessed Thomas had either kidnapped or tricked Melody into the woods and killed her that October. Uncle Thomas had pitched his tent nearly on top of her grave. It made me sick to think how exuberant he'd been as we set up camp when he must have been reliving what he did to that poor girl and how devastated my father had looked afterward. I don't remember him and Mom ever mentioning the incident or Uncle Thomas again. That night, on his back porch, Brett and I came to the same agreement. In my opinion, our uncle had gotten exactly what he deserved. I hoped he was still paying, just as much as I hoped Melody could now rest in peace. The next week, while the kids were at school, I took the sleeping bags and tent along with the pictures and doused them in gasoline. I burned them all in the fire pit in the backyard. The kids would be mad, but they'd get over it. No, I don't go camping. Not anymore. I hope you enjoyed Jesse's Girl by Stephanie Sism, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale, and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support her by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash sism. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash s-c-i-s-s-o-m. Should you decide you'd love to read more, why not check out Dead Heat or Season of the Witch, currently available from Crimson Pinnacle Books, or perhaps The Reckoning from Black Hair Press, in which a randomotica group finds a bit more than they bargained for. If you do decide to stop by the profile, please leave her a kind word and let her know that you heard about her here on this show. And that Otis censure. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Undying love. Revenge from beyond the grave. Turning into bugs in order to exact said revenge? I mean, where can I find a woman like that? But what if the one you love doesn't disappear under mysterious circumstances? What if there were no secrets? You still find yourself haunted by their presence, wondering if there was something you could have done better. Well, one poor soul, working the night shift at a hospital, is going to find out that a presence in his life is more, well, present than he might like to believe. Without further ado, I present to you, Let Me Go. I can't sleep, she whispered as she crawled into bed and spooned against my back. Oh, Jesus, you're cold, I murmured. She snuggled closer, throwing her leg over mine. I lay there for a few beats, caught between my alcohol induced sleep and wakefulness, until I realized whatever this cold thing pressed against my back was, it was not Danae. She'd been in the grave three months now. My eyes flew wide open, but I couldn't move. Adrenaline surged through me, but I lay paralyzed except for my eyes and my thundering heart. The icy thing holding me never moved. Instead of it taking on my heat, I took on its chill. I fought against it and somehow managed to wiggle my toes. Then my whole body spasmed, pitching me out of bed onto the floor. The crack of my face against the hardwood dazzled me, and filled my mouth with blood. I struggled under all fours, terrified I'd find some dead, exsanguinated version of Danae peering over the mattress at me. A glance at the clock dispelled some of my terror. I couldn't be late again, even though I half expected an icy hand to cover mine. I grabbed the mattress and pulled myself to my feet. The empty bed held a tangle of sheets and pillows, but no dead accusing wife. I didn't shower or even brush my teeth. I threw on my uniform and ran out the door. This job was all I had now, and I sure as hell wasn't in any shape to find a new one. At the hospital, I swung my truck into the emergency parking area and ran inside. I clocked in with 28 seconds to spare. Tony, my night shift partner, frowned when I burst into the security office. Dude, you look awful. I glanced down at my half-tucked shirt and rumpled pants. I hadn't even brushed my hair. I'm sorry, I haven't been able to sleep, and when I finally did, I crashed. He stood and motioned me to follow. Like a chastened toddler, I did. We ended up in the family restroom on the first floor. Tony ducked out while I washed my face with pink liquid soap and dried it with paper towels. He reappeared in a moment with a plastic tub that contained a toothbrush, toothpaste, comb, and deodorant. I'm worried about you, he said. My mother, my brothers, and Abby all were worried. Looking at my red eyes and drawn face in the mirror, hell, even I worried about me. I can't sleep. When I do, it's nightmares. What'd you take? Melatonin? Ambient? Does whiskey count? He didn't smile. Jack, we're all real sorry about Danae. We loved her. We love you, but you gotta pull it together, man. I nodded, and he left me alone to make myself presentable. When I came out a few minutes later, Tony was gone. I grabbed my clipboard to make my checks. The hospital security wasn't a bad gig. On the weekend, a lot of the areas were empty. Of course, tonight's full moon would probably have the psych ward hopping. By the time I'd done my first walk-through, felt better. I wandered down to the emergency waiting. Twice a day, local churches brought in meals for the families in the waiting areas. I nodded at the volunteers, fixed a styrofoam-to-go plate, and stepped outside. Mac grinned when he saw me, stubbed out his cigarette before reaching for the plate. "'It's the Baptist tonight, ain't it?' he asked. "'Those little women are the best cooks.' I laughed. Yep, yeah, fried chicken. Want me to ask any of those little women if they're single? <laughs> Shoot, no, son. Papa's a rolling stone. We chatted, then I told him I needed to head back in. As always, he thanked me. Technically, we weren't supposed to feed the homeless, but we all loved Mac. I wasn't about to let a decorated war veteran sit out here hungry when a table creaked with food inside. Walking back through emergency, I saw Abby turning the corner and hurried to catch up. I tugged her ponytail and she turned to smile at me. Hey, favorite, she said. What's up? She called me that as long as I could remember. We'd grown up next door to each other my three brothers, and at some point or another, I had all competed for her attention. I was the favorite, however, or as she liked to tease them number one faults. The other would alternate between number two and number three. Except for Joe, who annoyed her so much she was always number four. Or she'd tell him he was her least favorite faults. Even as adults, Abby and I still lived next door to each other. She helped me get this job and also tipped me off to the house I lived in now. Not much, I said. Seems quiet so far. Shh. She admonished They'll hear you. I'd probably open the gates of hell just by uttering that. To say a night was easy always seemed to curse it. We walked to the elevator and the doors opened before I could even press the button. We looked at each other. Abracadabra, I said, and motioned her inside. So, how are you, she asked. "Mm, Good. Liar. Good enough, then, I said. You did all you could do wish people would stop saying that. I snapped before I could stop myself. She punched the fourth floor button and I sighed. I'm sorry. I failed her abs. We were fighting and I just drove off. There's no way you could have known, she insisted. I told her I wanted a divorce. Abby's eyes widened. You never told me that. How come you never told me that? The elevator door is dinged open. Abby dragged me to the staff break room. She pushed me into a chair and said, Talk. When I didn't speak, she said, Halverson? The hospital had buzzed with rumors of an affair. I hadn't told Abby when Denay finally confessed because that would have destroyed any fragment of friendship they had left. I didn't suppose it mattered now. Halverson was a part of it. She admitted it. Abby shook her head, eyes narrowed. Again? She cheated on you again? With Halverson? Abby's disgust at Halverson's name stung a little because she didn't know the worst of it. Not only had Denae slept with the old doctor, she'd done it for a price. She confessed and begged me to forgive her. That wasn't even our real issue. She was back on the pills again. Halverson wrote her the script. Abby gasped. You should have turned him in. He knew her story. He should lose his license. I can't prove he knew. I never really believed the rumors about him. I even asked her point blank one day. She denied it, and I believed her. I'm so sorry, Jake. It wasn't the affair that bothered me most. Danae said it was just sex, and I believed her. She could shut herself off in ways that I didn't understand. At times, I was closer to her than anyone, but there were places in her heart where even I was a stranger. Abby and Danae had gotten along well enough, but I never doubted where Abby's loyalty lay. Danae had always been jealous of her, but I made it clear from the start that my friendship with Abby was non-negotiable. I'd never been unfaithful, never given Danae a reason to doubt me, she couldn't say the same. We fought again that day. I'd come home and found her high. I told her I wouldn't live with someone I couldn't trust, so I got my truck and left. Denae had chased me in the yard, crying and begging me to stay, but I jumped in my truck and roared off. She tried to call me a dozen times. Then I got that text. By the time I'd made it back home, it was almost too late. Hell guess it had been to it, because she never regained consciousness. I got lost in that memory of busting down the bathroom door, of her pale face sinking in that swirling red water. Abby squeezed my hand. Stop. It wasn't your fault. Danae had a history of depression. She tried to kill herself the first time, long before she started working here. Long before she ever met you. That's why I should have been more careful. I saw one attempt, remember? I knew how fragile she was. You didn't know she'd do that. You're not God. My pager buzzed, and for once I was grateful. Oh, gotta go. Transport. Okay, she said. Swing around back later. I love you, favorite. Love you too, abs. The worst part of my job was definitely the transport. "'Carla, the nursing supervisor, waited for me in the ER. "'Hey, good-looking,' she said. "'Ready to take a ride?' "'I liked Carla. "'She was good at her job and strong as an ox. "'If I had to do a transport with anyone, I'd just as soon it'd be her. "'But I grimaced when she led me to exam room number three, "'the room they'd wheeled an A to when we first arrived. "'Thankfully, a sheet already covered the body.' Is it a child? I asked. Nah, she's in her twenties. Tiny thing. We transferred the body from the bed to the gurney and took the staff elevator to the basement. Carla and I even made small talk. Then she left. Her job complete. I pulled up the computer screen, opened the morgue book, and moved the sheet to look at the dead girl's toe tag. The tattoo on the foot stopped me cold. A daisy they had one in the same spot, gotten on our first date. I'd taken her to a little hole-in-the-wall bar to see my favorite band, Goodbye June. She'd fallen in love with her song, Daisy. and I'd fallen in love with her. Daisy had evolved into my pet name for. Her. Though I knew the girl on the slab wasn't her, that the tattoo wasn't even the same. It spooked me. Tendrils of this afternoon's nightmare brushed me, threatened to wrap around me again. I forced it from my mind and hurried to complete the computer work so I could leave. Her cell phone blared to life with three doors down, let me go. And I jumped backward, banging my head on the shelf. It would have been funny if Carla had still been here, but in my current state, it's got the crap out of me. The song blasted on as I scribbled my entry in the morgue notebook. I didn't know how her phone even had a signal down here. That's why I carried a pager. Only when the door closed behind me did I feel like I could breathe again. But my relief was short-lived. When I approached the elevators, the doors opened again without me getting near the button. I almost didn't have the nerve to get in. Things had been happening around me for a while now, creepy things. Objects moved around the house phone calls with no caller information, her songs on the radio. I didn't know whether to attribute it to too much alcohol, too little sleep, or losing my damn mind. Any of those things were better than the alternative that Denae was haunting me. The next few hours passed uneventfully. At midnight, I went to find Abby for lunch. She looked up when the elevator doors opened. I waved and headed toward her. As I walked past one of the rooms... The sound from inside distracted me. Beep, beep, beep in a frantic rhythm, like someone's heart thumping at about hundred seventy beats per minute. It sounded so odd that I stopped to listen. It slowed until it was more like beep, 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 then it stopped altogether. Hey, I yelled, someone's coding. Abby gave me a confused look, but didn't move. Hurry I shouted, and threw open the door. An old man, sitting up in his hospital bed, glowered at me, then turned his attention back to the price's right. The noise, the beeps, someone had just spun the damn wheel. Abby appeared at my shoulder. She snickered and burst out laughing. Feeling really stupid and trying not to smile, I shut the door and muttered, "'Asshole!' Abby laughed harder until she had to lean against the wall." Code Bob, she squeaked, and I laughed too. It's cold, Drew now. Come on, jerk. I'll buy you lunch. She grabbed her purse and we headed to the cafeteria. I told her about the girl in the morgue, thinking I'd get another laugh, but she squeezed my forearm and said, I'm sorry. I didn't want to talk about bad things with her. She'd been there for enough for me. She'd been working emergency the night I'd carried Danae's dripping, almost lifeless body through the doors, screaming for help. After trying to tourniquet the mangled wrist she'd slashed so deep and vertically, I'd panicked and thrown her in my truck. We lived so close to the hospital, I thought it would be faster than waiting for an ambulance. Abby told me that it had been the right reaction, although it hadn't made much difference. Cafeteria didn't have much selection. I grabbed a cheeseburger and Abby got a plastic wrapped salad. When she reached for it, her sleeve pulled up, revealing the ugly purple bruises on her wrist. What the hell? I grabbed her arm and turned her wrist to inspect it. Those were definitely fingerprints. Did Connor. What? No! She looked around. It was one of the psych patients. She answered quickly enough, and her answer made sense. Something flashed in her eyes before she pulled away. Look, if Connor hurt you... Shh, no. I told you what happened, so drop it, please. No chance of that. Abby meant too much to me. The thought of someone hurting her made my gut clench. It felt good to feel something besides pain and grief. I wasn't going to drop it, but next time I'd mention it, I'd be taking it up with him. I despised Connor since the day I met him
2: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's angi.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg.
1: In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Hey,
0: Abby said. Beep, beep. I'm never going to live that down, am I? Oh, God, no, she grinned. So, your mom called. She wanted to know what I thought about having a surprise birthday party for you next week. Please tell me you shut that down. She rolled her eyes. Of course I did. Got your back, loser. I thanked her and toyed her with a salt shaker. My mom calls you more than she calls me. I don't think she's ever given up on the idea of us together. Uh, excuse me? You should be so lucky. There's a problem with my eyes, I said. I can't get them off you. She grinned, made an ooh sound. I'm having a problem with mine, too, because I can't see you getting anywhere with me. I had the distinct pleasure of sitting beside her at a bar one night, and some guy had tried that on her shot down in flames. It felt good laughing again to hang out with Abby, but it also made me feel guilty. How could I laugh about anything when my wife was dead? After lunch, I went to check the waiting room monitors. Everything seemed calm. I scanned all ten areas. Most everyone seemed to have bedded down for the night. The TV still played on the third floor, but no one was watching. Three people slept while a fourth scrolled on his phone. As I watched, he laid his cell down and pulled the blanket over his head. Opposite the recliners, in one of the chairs, something white and smoky rose. For a moment, I panicked, thinking fire. But it didn't look like fire. It looked like someone standing. I gaped at the screen, and the thing seemed to take on a shape. It almost had a face which had turned toward the guy with the cell. The TV winked off, pitching the room in darkness. The televisions here were old, no remotes, no timers. To shut it off, a person had to physically touch it. The guy's cell phone lit up. He held it over his head like a flashlight and scanned the room. Then he lay back down. At that moment, Tony walked in. "Dude," I said, watch this. I replayed the video for him. He frowned and watched it again. That's just distortion in the tape. And the TV? He shrugged. Maybe the power blinked. Tony was one of the most practical people I'd ever known. He'd logic the hell out of this until he had a reasonable explanation. But he wasn't the one I really wanted to show this to. I wanted to show Abby. I'm going to walk around, I said, and he grabbed my arm. I have something for you pulled a small square of paper from his pocket. Ambien. I thought you might want to try a couple of them. If it helps, get someone to write you some. Thanks. I got in the elevator and went to the third floor to check on that waiting room. The people inside slept and the TV remained off. I moved over to the chair, half expecting something white and spectral to rise from it. Nothing did, but the chair was not empty. A single daisy lay on the seat. Unnerved, I took the elevator to Abby's floor. On my way to the nurse's desk, someone called me from one of the rooms. I peeked inside, and the elderly woman on the bed motioned me closer. "Uh, Ma'am, can I help you with something? I'm cold, she said. Can you give me an extra blanket? I got one out of the closet and covered her. Thank you, dear. What about her? "'Who?' I asked, looking at the unoccupied bed on the other side. "'She pointed behind me at the empty corner. "'The girl in the pink gown says she's cold, too.' "'Now, I didn't say anything. "'Turning on my heel, I ran from the room. "'I forgot about Abby, forgot everything, "'except how it felt to drag a beautiful pale girl "'from a tub filled with hot water and blood "'and how it had stained her white gown pink.' Somehow, I made it through the rest of the shift. I didn't care about the ghost in the waiting room or the ghost in the old woman's room. I only worried about the ghosts waiting for me at home. That's one reason I stopped by the gas station near home and picked up some beer. My house didn't feel like a ghost lived there. I didn't feel like anyone did, myself included. I still didn't have a door on the bathroom since I had hauled the splintered one to the dump. I took the Ambien, drained three beers, and climbed in the shower. All I saw was her face. The pink steaming water. Her gored wrist. And the one that wasn't, because she'd done such a great job in the first one. She hadn't been able to finish the other. I didn't need to be thinking of this before bed. I thought about staying up. It had been too much of that lately. Yawning, I cut off the shower and grabbed a towel. After drying my face, I glanced at the mirror. The words, Let me go, stood out on the mirror, scrawled on steam glass. It hit me like a punch. I didn't know how long it had been there, or if it was even real. I wandered to the kitchen in my boxers and peered out the window at Abby's house. Connor's Mustang sat in her drive. Glancing at my bedroom door, I couldn't go in there. Instead, I sat on the couch, finished the six-pack, and passed out. I woke in my own bed after more dreams of my dead wife snuggling next to me, trying to escape the chill of her grave. Thankfully, the bedroom light was on. The clock on the nightstand said, 9.43. Panic froze me before I realized this was Monday, my day off. When I threw back the blanket, my heart stalled. Mud stained the bottom of my sheets and my feet. Grimy footprints covered my bedroom floor. My heart thumped painfully when I realized there were two sets. Mine leading into the room, a smaller set going in both directions. I didn't want to follow them because of what they might lead to, but I couldn't stand not knowing. I tracked them through the living room into the kitchen, Food wrappers littered the counter. A half-empty peach of Nihi sat on the marbled surface. Danae's favorite drink. I hated those things, but after she'd died, hadn't been able to throw them out. The footsteps let out the door. I hesitated, my hand on the knob, childishly afraid to step outside into the darkness. I glanced out the window at Abby's house. Connor's Mustang, still sat in the drive, parked next to her Camaro As I turned away, something caught my eye. A cigarette glowing in the darkness. I'd never known Abby to smoke. My curiosity superseded my fear of the dark, so I walked outside. She jumped when I rapped on her window, then looked back at the house. She'd been crying, though she tried to hide her swollen eyes as she rolled the window down. All the crazy thoughts in my head dissipated like the smoke from her cigarette, replaced by concern. Abby, what's wrong? She began to cry. I jerked open the door and took her in my arms. She clung to me for a moment. Then we heard Connor yell from inside. Go, she said. I'll be over in a little bit. I've got to end this my own way. You're we breaking up with? Him? Abigail! Connor yelled. I hated how he called her that. Abigail like Abby wasn't good enough for him. Abby was too good for all of us. She shut the car door, dropped her cigarette in the drive, and ground it with her heel. Then she did something that stunned me. She grabbed me and kissed me. When she broke away, I stood there paralyzed. She walked toward her house and shot me a tremulous smile over her shoulder. I've wanted to do that my entire life. I didn't know what to do, so I walked back to my house to wait. Sight of Danae's flowerbed stopped me in my tracks. All of the daisies had been dug up. Daisies and clumps of mud covered my lawn. Had I done that? Periodically, I glanced at Abby's house as I cleaned up the mess, and then I showered. I didn't know what to think. Abby and I had never been like that. Not that I hadn't thought about it over the years. I mean, who wouldn't? Even though it felt like a betrayal, that kiss had felt right. Let me go. Denae's voice startled me, clear as a bell, in that empty living room. I turned, half expecting to see her behind me. I grabbed our wedding photo off the wall and slammed it on the floor. Glass flew everywhere. You let me go, I shouted. You left me, Denae. My soul ran. I grabbed it up, expecting Abby, but it was the hospital. Lanny, one of the night shift nurses, said, I hate to bother you on your night off, but it's Mac. He's had a stroke and he's asking for you. I didn't know what to do about Abby, so I sent her a text. Max is in intensive care, headed to the hospital. At the hospital, Lanny met me at the desk. Glad you made it. I don't think he has long. Where is he? Of course. Exam room number three. Mac's eyes were closed when I stepped around the curtain, but then he opened them and beckoned me. Dene? He rasped. He said something else, but I couldn't hear, so I leaned down. Contract. Then he died. The word mystified me. What contract? Goodbye, Mac, I said, and walked outside couldn't understand what was happening. I didn't know what Denae wanted from me, and I sure as hell didn't know about any contract. I caught the elevator and found myself outside the old lady's door, the one who'd mentioned the girl in the pink gown. If she'd talked to Denae once, maybe she could talk to her again. I knocked. Come in, she called. Ma'am, I don't know if you remember me. You brought me the blanket, she said. I'm not seen out yet. I gave her a polite laugh, but my smile faded when she added, "'The girl in the pink gown talks about you. "'She says your name's Jake.' "'Did she say anything else?' "'The old woman took my hand. "'She said you have to let her go. "'She can't move on until you do. "'What does that mean?' "'She says there's a contract she can't break.' "'I shook my head.' don't know anything about a contract. "'I don't know what she means. "'I'm sorry, I don't know.' "'I thanked her and left. "'Halfway to the parking lot, my cell phone rang. "'I fished it out of my pocket "'and froze when I saw the incoming caller ID. Danae calling. "'Her cell phone lay in a kitchen drawer, "'disconnected and dead for weeks now. "'I answered.' crackle of static filled my ear, but the pounding of my pulse nearly drowned it out. A voice broke through, gritty and shrieking, but undeniably denay. Hurry, she screamed. Abby! I jumped in my truck and tore out of the parking lot. Connor's car still sat in the driveway, but I didn't care. I took her front steps, two at a time, then banged on her door. Something crashed, Fueled by adrenaline, I jerked the knob and barreled my way inside. Connor straddled her on the living room floor, choking her. Abby's small hands beat ineffectively at him, her face an ugly mottled red. I grabbed him in a headlock and yanked him backward. He let her go to defend himself, and Abby scuttled away. We tumbled around her living room, trading blows and knocking over furniture. I finally found my feet and hauled him to his. "'Jerking him out of the front door. "'Tried to push him down the front steps. "'Grabbed a fistful of my shirt, and we both went. "'Sirens screamed in the distance, "'and soon strobing blue lights lit Abby's yard. "'Rough hands jerked us apart, "'and they hauled both of us to the station. Three hours later, I sat on Abby's steps, "'holding an ice pack to my eye, "'drinking a Jack and Coke. "'What happened?' I asked. She didn't speak, and it took some prodding to get it out of her. They'd fought about me. Abby had come home from the grocery store and found me passed out in Danae's flower bed. She'd helped me inside, inciting Connor's jealousy and rage. The second set of muddy footprints had belonged to her. I meant to come back over and help clean up, she said, but things got a little crazy. I didn't know what to say, so I simply squeezed her hand. I've known it was wrong for me for a long time, but I didn't want to admit it. I thought I could change him, but all I did was harm myself, harm myself. Suddenly, I realized what contract an amen. I jumped up and said, Abby, I'll explain things in a little while, but I need to go find something. Can I help, she asked. I think I have to do this alone. Can I come over later? You better, she said. It took me a while, but I finally found it, tucked in a drawer of Denae's jewelry box. I lay across her bed to read it. Denae's first suicide attempt had been in her teens, but her second had been about a year after we'd started dating. She told me about her battle with depression, but I'd never seen it coming. Never had a clue how bad it was until I walked into that apartment that day and found her sprawled on the floor, an empty prescription bottle in her hand. It had been a close call that day, too. A few days later, we'd been lying in her hospital bed together, and I'd begged her to never do that again. She promised and made a joke about drawing up a contract. I'd like that, I said, and she'd taken it more seriously than I'd thought. The next day, she presented me with this. I, Denae Roberts, make a commitment to living. I will not harm myself or anyone else in any way. I will not attempt suicide or any other self-injury. If I begin to have thoughts of harming myself, one, I will try to identify specifically what's upsetting me. Two, I'll review alternatives to self-harm, such as thinking about my friends, family, and my hot, supportive boyfriend, Jake. Three, I'll seek out a responsible, caring, and supportive person if thoughts of self-harm continue. Four, if at this time I do not feel I can control my behavior... I'll contact 911 or the nearest emergency room. She'd signed it with a flourish, then made me witness and date it. I'm sorry. You couldn't keep this promise, I said, but you're no longer bound by it. I hope you find peace, Daisy. I burned the contract over the bathroom sink and washed the ashes down the drain. I hope you enjoyed Let Me Go by Stephanie Sism, as performed by yours truly. You enjoyed what you've heard tonight? I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website. Just visit com slash That's com slash S-C-I-S-S-O-M. Find a short read in The Reckoning, where a scavenger hunt goes off the rails. Dead Heat, a collection of summer horror tales that just might warm you up this fall before chilling you to the bone. Or another collection of short and scary in Season of the Witch. All the better to give your dreams the edge you need. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured as a reminder, if you decide to give tonight's talented authors stories a read, please consider leaving them a quality review and a kind word or thoughtful thoughtful public comment and an upload. And be sure to let them know you heard about them on this program and that Otis Jarvie sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine and I'm sure that would be much appreciated as well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, Before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium, extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com, where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs. Or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month and get access to our entire audio archive Dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Cherry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, Dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky. Get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's alright. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>